0: We'd love to hear from you so we can make our shows even better. Please share five minutes of your time with us at legaltalknetwork.com slash survey. You might be asking, hey, what's
1: in it for me? Well, we'll choose five respondents who'll get to pick from three terrific prizes, courtesy of our survey sponsor, Noda, by m Bank. Remember, that's legaltalknetwork.com
0: slash survey. Before we begin today's show, we'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Smokeball. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future.
2: The next time you go to a website, click on customer service, and enter into a live chat room with an assistant tasked with answering your questions and helping you with your issues, chances are you're not actually talking to a human. Programmed to communicate as if it were a living, breathing person, AI chatbots function by asking you a series of questions and providing you with your available options. They've become commonplace in the corporate world, allowing companies to provide 24-7 service without relying on asking people to work graveyard shifts or utilizing overseas call centers. Lawyers, law firms, and courts have even gotten into the act, using chatbots to do everything from answering legal questions, helping lawyers with client intake, resolving disputes between litigants, and even helping pro se parties represent themselves in court. As a result, chatbots have emerged as a tool with the enormous potential to help bridge the access to justice gap. But could they also have an enormous potential for harm? In June, a software engineer at Google made headlines when he claimed his AI chatbot had become sentient. Cue immediate mass panic as people speculated whether this was the start of the coming robot uprising foreseen in movies like the Terminator series or 2001 A Space Odyssey. Would we soon have no choice but to welcome our new robot overlords? Google pushed back and fired the engineer, saying his claims were wholly unfounded. But that's what you'd expect from a company that may or may not have stumbled into creating the real-life version of Skynet, right? My name is Victor Lee, and I'm an assistant managing editor with the ABA Journal. And joining me on today's episode of the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast is Tom Martin, founder and CEO of LawDroid. Martin, a 2022 ABA Journal and Center for Innovation Legal legal Rebel, helps lawyers and courts design their own chatbots. He is here today to dispel some myths about chatbots and explain what they can and can't do, as well as where the field of chatbots might be heading, especially in the legal field. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, Victor. Happy to be here. Thanks. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. How did you get into uh, practicing law and especially you know, when it came to like, designing chatbots and, and, and combining tech with law? How did, how did it all happen for you?
1: Yeah. So the way I got into it is really from a from love of uh, working with technology From a young age, I just loved working with computers, hacking, programming, and ended up going to law school. You know, I went to Yale undergrad, UCLA UCLA Law, and uh, ended up practicing. But throughout my practice, I always incorporated a use of technology. And in about 2016, the uh, chatbot revolution hit, and um, I was really interested in it. I thought it was a complete game changer uh, because it allowed the automation of conversation, and that was something that really hadn't been done before in a far-reaching way. So I knew some change was afoot, and I wanted to get, a, get ahead of it. How did you come up with the
2: idea for Logroid specifically?
1: Yeah, so in about 2016, uh, Joshua Browder had come out with his Do Not Pay bot, and uh, it helped people to get out of parking tickets in London. And so when I saw that story, I was completely inspired by the power of, of chatbots and I launched my own experiment. And my experiment had a you know legal application which was to help people incorporate a business in California seamlessly. So they would just jump on, answer a few questions, and it would actually fill out all the documents they needed in California to create a corporation. And Laundroid's come a long way since that initial experiment. Uh, we've created a lot of bespoke projects for legal aid organizations as well as law firms. And about a year and a half ago, we created a no-code automation platform so that instead of having to create it custom every single time, with this automation platform, it doesn't require any code. It's a visual drag and drop system that's as easy to use as WordPress, for example. You can create your own uh, conversational automations. So Lawdroid Now is a no-code automation platform that empowers not only lawyers, but knowledge industries to scale and automate their services professionally. Pretty, pr- pretty proud of the progress we've made in establishing LawDroid as a real business and beyond an experiment, I think chatbots are here to stay.
2: Gotcha, and so currently, um, how, do you, how do you go about designing a chatbot for a, a lawyer or a judge or a court system or whatever? I mean, so if I'm, you know, specifically, if, like if I'm a lawyer starting my own firm, I guess my first question would be, do I even need a chatbot?
1: I mean, what started out as a complete experiment has really evolved over time. Like in 2016, chatbots weren't a known quantity. People were kind of scratching their heads, wondering, what is this? Why would I need this? A lot of lawyers still have that question in their mind about why I would need a chatbot. But the thing is, is when you step back from it for a second, do lawyers need assistance? Of course they do. They hire assistants. They get paralegals to help them they pay a lot of money for that. And especially in the current climate, it's really helpful to be able to save, to be more efficient, and to do more with less. And so through that lens, you know, having some type of automation that helps you through it is really, really valuable. That's exactly what chatbots do. In fact, I think the term chatbot is outdated now, really. It's, it's about having you know, a virtual type of automated assistant. And that's where we're going in the future. That's where we are now, actually. And to train an automation to be able to help you capture leads, to intake new clients, to even conduct interviews and create legal documents on the fly. That's what the power of chatbots is now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen some websites, I think mean, maybe you even design some of them, where you have... Different chatbots doing different things, you know, client intake, virtual receptionist. There's some chatbots where you input information and they tell you what your next step should be, like if you should be filing workers' comp claims or bankruptcy proceedings or things like that. And, you know, I mean, obviously all that, all that can be overwhelming for a lawyer, especially if they're starting from square one. So I mean, like, would you recommend just like taking the plunge doing all those things or maybe just like one or two of those things just to kind of start with and then getting themselves more acclimated to the technology so that they can, they can figure out how best to kind of scale up?
1: Yeah, there's really so many applications. In fact, we found our original use case with, with Legal Aid, right? Because they have a scaling issue about dealing with thousands and thousands of people in need. So you have a problem of dealing with many people at the same time. There's not enough lawyers to go around. So for Legal Aid, it made perfect sense to create these types of solutions that could help thousands of people at the same time. For private attorneys, it's a little different. Most of them have an initial desire to capture more clients, right? Make more money. And so like, that's a good place to start usually is with that simple use use case of capturing leads on your website or through social media. And so with chatbots, you can automate that and you can make it work 24 seven to your advantage. So there's definitely money in that, capturing more business and becoming
2: more efficient. You mentioned Joshua Browder and his do not pay bot and how it can be used by pro se litigants in court. And he's added a lot of capabilities to it since then. But the core technology is still kind of the same. You answer questions and it gives you your options and it generates a form for you to file and whatnot. So obviously, you know, that has raised issues about unauthorized practice of law, consumer protection and whatnot. Of course, and the alternative is that you know people then go to court without any kind of legal representation at all, without any clue of what to do. Is there a balance that can be struck here, and what options would litigants have if they can't if they can't use this tech and they can't afford a lawyer?
1: Well, unfortunately, the options that people have if they can't afford a lawyer and they can't work with tech like this is that they have to they have to deal with it themselves, and that's a real unfortunate option because there's so many people that are unrepresented in the system, as you know, and. Um, they can really use help and pro bono is not gonna cut it. There's just not enough lawyers to go around. So you need some type of automation like this to to help people out. And so, you know, Joshua's doing his deal with, now it's a a iPhone app and my company LawDroid as well as a lot of others are creating uh, chatbot solutions for legal aid organizations that help them to, you know, automate the capturing of information creating legal documents on the fly. But it's not by any means something that's prevalent or or really saturated the system right now. And I think it's something that should be pursued in a much broader fashion because it's really a way of giving
2: people access where they otherwise would be locked out of the system. What do you think is the main reason why it hasn't been accepted as much? Is it just people don't people don't trust tech. I mean, it's just more of like the usual, you know, um, the legal system being behind the times and not wanting to, not wanting to, um, you know, adopt technology quickly or being suspicious of it. Or do you think it's just the idea of like, like you said, you know, people just being like, Oh, well, pro bono can solve the, can solve the issue. And then, but then you have all these lawyers who aren't willing you know, you don't have enough lawyers that are willing to take these cases on. and, And then people end up having to, you know, fend for themselves. Is it, is it, is it a combination of those, of those things? It really is a
1: combination of things. It's a kind of a perfect storm of regulation that's preventing people from, you know, lawyers would say practicing law, but on the other hand, it's really just about being helpful. A lot of companies are having difficulty expanding more into this area because there's a fear of being sued or having being prosecuted for the unlawful practice of law. So that's that's a little scary and causes some companies to to back off from that, but then There are sandboxes, you know, in Utah, there's opportunities to do some of this without the worry of of the unlawful unlawful practice of law. But still, you need a financial incentive there. You need a way to make this work for both consumers and the companies that are creating these solutions. And the regulations definitely don't help because they they restrict it. And so I think there needs to be re-regulation of how we approach this. Uh, Lawyers are not the only solution to this problem. Uh, Pro bono is not going to cut it, like I mentioned before. And to expand it to legal professionals that are not lawyers is, is, is necessary, including automation, where you could essentially download the expertise from lawyers and then automate it and make it available to the public at large is extremely necessary, you know, especially in a society like ours where the promise is to, to everyone, for everyone to have access to justice. And we need to make that a reality. And this is the way to do it.
0: All right, we're gonna take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Smokeball is the cloud-based practice management software that lets you run your law firm like a well-tuned business, automatically record your time and activities, easily organize documents and conversations from every matter, Complete and send documents quickly with a vast library of preloaded forms and work efficiently with robust Microsoft Office integrations. Smokeball puts the power of anytime, anywhere at your fingertips. Schedule your free demo today at smokeball.com.
2: And we're back. So let's talk about chatbots in general. Obviously, the Google example that I mentioned in the intro got headlines because the media, myself included, love a great story about sentient robots. So let's get this out of the way. Is it possible that this engineer was right and that his chatbot had become sentient? Or have they become so good at mimicking human behavior that it just seems like they've become self-aware?
1: You know, I, I think it's really the latter. It's about mimicking. But I, I love the way that you, <laughs> you teed up this, uh, you know, the conversation about, about sentience. It definitely captured my attention, as I'm sure everyone else, you know, when you're checking out the news and everything seems to be shocking uh, nowadays. But from having worked with these systems and looking at, you know, BERT that came out in 2018, which is, it's a natural language uh, system. And GPT-3 that we all heard about a couple years ago, that blew everyone away. And then Lambda, which is, that that's that's the system that Blake LeMoyne, I think is his last name, how yeah, you pronounce it. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. He's the engineer who was working with uh, Lambda that Google came out with in 2021. And so these different language models have just gotten progressively better and better and better. Now, GPT-3 that came out in 2020, that was more of general application. Lambda was actually specifically developed for dialogue applications. So it shouldn't be a surprise that if it was specifically fine-tuned for dialogue applications that it would have a massive ability to speak and hold a conversation in a natural way. So, you know, I'm not going to second guess his belief because that's his belief. If he honestly believe that he works much closer with the technology that it probably did come across that way to him. Um, I know that when I've, when I've even asked questions of GPT-3, some of the questions, some of the ways the questions have been, been answered are surprising to me. Uh, I've asked philosophical questions, having been a philosophy major undergrad, I've asked philosophy questions of, G- of GPT3, and some of the answers it comes back with are pretty good. you know? It's like something you would get from somebody talking about philosophical questions over a beer. you know So it's pretty impressive, and I'm sure this was pretty impressive, but I don't think it's sentient in the sense that it's able to actually feel the world around it. Although I would say that it's kind of interesting that even though they can't feel or perceive the world that we do the way that we do, the thing that's interesting about these language models is it does perceive the words around it, right? Hmm. So like the whole point of these models is that when you speak with it, it has this massive knowledge about how language is used so that it could predict where you're going with the conversation that's the whole thesis behind this is that it could take an in, as an input what you're saying and kind of understand in a sense where you're going with the conversation and how to respond to you. So it's not our definition of sentient, but it is aware of the words around
2: it and the context, which on its own is very impressive. Cause I, I think the example that, um, that, that stunned me was, um I think it was a few months ago around, around the same time, but it was a different company. You know, there was a study that where it was like, they looked at, you know, like, like those, like Zillow and like um, um, those, those home buying, those home buying apps and whatnot, real estate apps to kind of figure out, okay, well, what, what pictures are the most appealing to, to, to people, like what angles, what light, what type of furniture, what colors and things like that. And you would think that'd be like more subjective because of, you know, you're, 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 you're putting in like, you know, people's tastes uh, and, and and things like that. And, and, and what, you know, you're looking at the context there too, but, you know, but, but they become so good at processing, you know, these images, but then also, you know, kind of, Correlating it with 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 how, with how generally people feel about certain things, like whether they like an open concept, whether they like a closed concept, or certain colors or whatnot, that it, that it, that, it, that it, can, it, can, it can kind of mimic the, that that kind of subjectiveness and whatnot. So, is is it kind of similar to that, or is it just more, or, or is it just something something different that that's that's specific to like the actual like program itself?
1: So, in a sense, th- these technologies are similar in in that they work off of neural networks that are trained on certain data inputs, right? And they're they're trained to to mimic that. So, you know, there are some models now where you can actually describe an image and what it should look like, and these systems can output an actual image, you know, based on your uh, verbal description of what you want to see. I mean, we're talking about conversation, we're talking about dialogue, and so when you ask it a question, it pulls from basically the, the web that's been downloaded into into a training data set so that it could understand the context, but also have some of the answers already in it. But generally it could could hold a conversation with you on the topic that you're talking about and understand generally where you're going with the conversation based on what you've already said. So based on what you've already said, it could predict where you're going and be able to answer you. So, you know, the, the thing is, is that at some point, we're not going to be able to tell the difference between it actually being sentient and it just being useful. I guess the point that I want to make is that the technology, chatbots, automating conversations, it doesn't have to be sentient to be useful. Hmm. And I know that that's where we are right now, is that it's definitely useful. So it's kind of an academic question about it being, being conscious or sentient, which I don't believe it is right now it's just very intelligently responding to what we're saying based on patterns that it understands but i think that there's a lot of benefit to what we have right now and as you pointed out you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of room for improvement in in the current systems that we use because as everyone who's listening to this knows you go to i don't know american airlines american express you uh, use their chatbot and there's a lot that be that's left to be desired <laughs> There's like more basic concerns and problems dealing with some of the, um, the chatbots that are available right now. But I think the more and more that companies incorporate this type of technology like Lambda, the language model for dialogue applic- applications, you can make it a smoother ride. And you make it a smoother ride by making it more human-like. And people
2: respond to that. Gotcha. So another issue about chatbots is how they can be biased or, you know, invade people's privacy uh, and things like that. So how can programmers prevent that from happening? Or is it inevitable that, you know, it'll it'll inevitably reflect the thoughts and beliefs of the person that's programming it?
1: Yeah, this is a hard one. I mean, you know, there's this excellent documentary, Coded Bias, that goes into this in more detail. Basically, that had to do with a machine learning model that recognized faces and it, it wasn't able to recognize, you know, faces of African Americans at the same level of ability that it did white faces. And then, you know, the question automatically comes to mind about, you know, where does this come from? Like, why is it doing this? And basically because a lot of the data is trained on people that are white, right? So mm. the more data you have, the more influence you have upon these learning models right? So we have to be very careful about what we train these systems on. But at the same time, we only have the data that we have. So we need to use that to train these models. I mean, the way to handle it is to look at what the outputs are and then to have some kind of rules that restrict the output that we get. So it might be, you know, it might be a certain pattern of of um responses that we get you know there's there's been some chatbots that have known to uh say racist things and that's because they're trained on the internet and as we all know if you look not even deeply at the internet there's a lot of things that are, are uh, inappropriate there and so you could also train a language model to not say certain things it's like it's like giving uh chatbots a sense of propriety you know and giving them an understanding of what's appropriate to say and what's not appropriate to say. So in the same way that you could train it to understand how to answer you, you could also train it
2: to be polite. Yeah, hopefully it's not being (laughs) trained uh, by reading YouTube comments. Um, So I guess finally, um, where do you see the field heading, especially in the legal industry? I mean, are there any areas within the legal industry where you think uh, they could be used but aren't? I mean, there's so many places where Automated
1: assistance can be used. Everything from the initial contact with, with clients through phone systems to email to web assistance. I think really what it comes down to is, is further penetrating the market so that more lawyers use it. And once they use it, they understand that they could, they could apply it in so many different contexts. So it could be, like I said, initially talking to the client or once they are a client getting the information they need or even creating draft documents. But I think that's the application for lawyers, right? Is to make them more efficient and profitable. But beyond that, there's a huge ocean of need beyond that because most lawyers, I mean, most people can't afford lawyers. So having automated legal assistance that could provide services directly to people at either no cost or extremely low cost, because when you're dealing with millions of people, of course you could scale it and be able to charge a lot less and still make money. You know, some of the companies that led the way, like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer, I had hoped that they would have incorporated technology like this to expand not only access to justice, but the ability for them to to make more money. I think because LegalZoom, for example, went public, they kind of have their business model set up that it might be difficult for them to do that. But there are a lot of younger companies, especially those coming out right now. We had the past two years of uh, intense focus and funding of legal tech companies. And uh, I think there's going to be some, that's going to bear some fruit. I think the more and more we give people financial incentives to help people with legal problems, the more this technology and the use of this technology throughout the country is gonna grow.
2: Great. And uh, if our listeners wish to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, so the easiest way to get in touch with me is uh, you could follow me on Twitter at LawDroid. Feel free to email me, tom at lawdroid.com. And to visit, of course, lawdroid.com, check out what we could do and see if we can give you a helping hand. Great.
2: Thanks for joining us today, Tom. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome, Victor.
2: Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please go to your favorite app and check out some other titles from Legal Talk Network. In the meantime, I'm Victor Lee, and I'll see you next time on the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast.
0: If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries.